Hello and welcome to Mega City Book Club, the podcast all about the galaxy's greatest comics. I'm Eamon Clark, and my guest is back for a fourth appearance, a man who can become a little misty about certain old screams. It's a warm <laughs> welcome back to Mr. Jim Moon. Hello, Jim. Hello, folks. Lovely to be back. <laughs> I've stolen a sort of a line from one of your own openings to your own <laughs> show, which we'll talk about at the end, Jim. So... I checked, and it was two years uh, ago that we did the Dracula file on episode 78. And That's I right, yes. We, yeah, we should just mention that the hardback that we were talking about was, um, it sold out, which is quite uh, heartening news. And so they've just brought out a paperback version as well for people who want to get hold of it, which is, you know, um, in this year of delayed publications Indeed. it's nice to have another version of the dracula file i believe as well it's on sale in the rebellion store along with a lot of other spooky graphic novels so you can get some money off if you scoot over there quickly now <laughs> yes it's halloween sale it is, time it is. It? i've got I might, yeah. I, might, I might be uh having a drink and then ordering some stuff and forgetting later on and not telling the wife <laughs> 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 not that she minds <laughs> yes well, I mean, you know, it's great to have these treasury editions. Uh, we'll talk about a couple more in a moment. So as you've sort of suggested, Jim, it's approaching Halloween. We're a week before it as we record, although this episode will come out probably the week after. And I've brought you back on because I asked you to talk about the Misty and Scream 2020 special. Yes, indeed. Um, now, there's been a few of these. I don't know. First of all, we I think when we talked about Scream and the Dracula file, you did mention that you were aware of Misty as a comic, but, you know, because of slightly daft gender <laughs> restrictions, neither you or I would pick up a girl's comic back then, No, we? sadly not. I mean, I, I was very aware of Misty, and um, there was a, one that preceded it as well, I think, called uh, Spellbound from DC Thompson. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, uh, but Misty, I always remember seeing. I saw the, the issues in, in the your local paper shop, and um, at Christmas, you, when you get your comics, they'd often have a pull-out flyer with all the uh, different um, IPC or Fleetway annuals. Um, and they did that for several years, and you always look Misty. They always look the books look fantastic and evocative, and it's kind of I so want to read them. But my sister was seven years, who's seven years younger than me, wasn't at comics reading age, so I couldn't couldn't get her to buy it so I could read it. <laughs> yes, I had no sisters to get to buy Misty. <laughs> Have you picked up any of the Treasury of British Comics um, reprints of Misty that they've put out? Uh, yes, I've, I've picked them all up so far. I mean, quite a few years ago, I acquired... Uh, a big DVD off eBay of oh, scans yes. of the yep. entire run of Misty, which um, seemed to be fine back then, but I think now is frowned upon. So I did manage to actually sit, you know, read the entire run of Misty a few years ago. Uh, but when they brought out these Treasury editions, I was kind of, yes, yep. I, I saw one in the bookshop and I thought, I need these very badly uh, because... They are just a lovely, like the Dracula file, the artwork actually looks better in these reprinted volumes than it does in the original comics because it's not on cheap paper. Uh, all the blacks are solid and uh, they've been an absolute delight. They've been beautifully cur uh, curated and I think it's really bringing Misty to a, a wider audience because, I mean, let's be honest, for better or worse, 
at the time, comics were very much boys' stuff, and those girls' comics, boys' comics, and they were very partitioned off, and comics fandom is generally all been about boys comics uh but that has been changing and people are finding there's all these gems in the canon of british girls comics written by a lot of the same people who worked on battle on action on 2000 ad and um i think it's, it's glorious that they're getting equal treatment and uh, we're getting to all these sort of gems uh reprinted in these lovely lovely books they are lovely aren't they i'm particularly the hardback, is it George uh, Jorge Bardia Romero collection? Yes, yes, that's, that's fantastic. That's yes. um, had some such, such good artists as well. Of, um, I think a very uh, strong element of Misty was the art. It didn't kind of have a house style, but they just had a very gifted roster of artists who could just really work well in black and white and... Considering a lot of them were South American, they did a convincing job of portraying grimy 1970s (laughs) city streets and uh, slightly grotty suburbs and, you know, tatty corner shops. Uh, Very, very evocative stuff. And you can really just drink in the detail in these new editions because the the reproductions of the art are fantastic. Yes, they are. Uh, Yeah, do check them out. I had, as you probably know, I had the academic Julia Round on to talk about Misty Mm. and her book about um, gothic girls comics. Um, And yeah, that particular hardback of the Romero artwork is just gorgeous. Lovely stuff. So, Misty and Scream specials, Jim. We've had two before, 2017, 2018. Last year, I think it was the 13th floor they did as a special. Yes, pretty much to tie into the books, yeah. Mm. Yeah, there was a book out, and the, the second volume of that has come out now, hasn't it? The thirteenth floor. Uh, yes, yeah. yeah, it was slightly delayed, I believe. Mm. Yeah, that will be coming up on the podcast at some point, volume two. Uh, so here we are again. Shall we, as ever, judge a book by its cover? First of all, Jim, what did you make <laughs> of this um, Andrea Bolgarelli cover for this issue? Uh, I quite liked it. I've enjoyed all the these particular covers. Uh, they do a, a bit have a feel of fan art, if you know right. what I mean. Uh, yeah. And kind of, if I was being a picky pedant, <laughs> I would kind of like to see something covers that look kind of more done in a, a vintage style. But um, uh, all the covers have been just gorgeous anyway, and um, I appreciate. I think we've you know, had Henry Flint, put, haven't we? Yeah, uh, I'm trying to remember who did. And what. then Kyle Hoff. Yeah, and there's variant online edition covers for uh, uh, the, the world, uh, yes. Yeah, which confuses things even more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's A cover and B cover. Because I know I've got, I think I've got both. The first one came out with two old, two different covers, and I've got both issues with different covers, just right because of completism genes. <laughs> <laughs> You and then the, the year not, after was an online variant cover for the download for the uh, um, ebook version, I, I think, if I remember rightly. And yeah. the 13th floor just had a single cover, which was less confusing. <laughs> so it's Andrea Bulgarelli, uh, a beautiful painted cover. Inside, of course, we've got that classic thing. We've got the horror hosts themselves, Garthley McNastley from uh, Scream and our our friend Misty. Mm. Um, horror hosts in comics and films and television, that presumably, Jim, that must go back a while, I should think, doesn't it? 
Oh, it goes it goes back a long, long way. I think the very first horror hosts actually were on radio in uh, shows in like the 30s and 40s. Um, oh right, yes. In, in, yeah, it, uh, there was a, a famous show in a sanctum, which was hosted by a chap called Raymond, who had this delightfully ghoulish camp voice and made terribly ghastly puns. <laughs> um, uh, but there's also kind of a, people that people are familiar say with the shadow as a, as a crime fighter. But the shadow started as a host, as a mysterious narrator who introduced a tale of uh, mystery and crime and then span off and became a character in his own right. And there's also a very groundbreaking radio called The Witch's Tale, which was hosted by a cackling old witch, who pretty much she went on to inspire the old witch in The Haunt of Fear and the EC comics. And all the 50s um, horror comics, it was, you know, de rigueur like EC, to have a horror host. And uh, it's something that's been with us ever since. And the horror host then went on to TV in the the late 50s and 60s, introducing reruns of old creaky black and white monster movies. And uh, much like the EC host and the radio host before them, often with that kind of bad jokes and terrible puns. (laughs) And that's kind of... Uh, yeah, that is, you know, just that's that's how you do horror hosting. You have to have that n- nod and a wink, and uh, that kind of very really quite. I think of that monsters Adams family sort of sensibility, where everything horrible is good and everything good is terrible. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and they keep up some of the sort of punning, or at least the um, what would you call it, the uh, alliterative titles for some of the writers in the introduction here from Ghastly and. Uh, and Misty, don't they? Which is quite fun. Oh, I absolutely. Suspect it might be Keith Richardson, you know, behind that. <laughs> well, I think that's something that's kind of where that starts is a young ones episode called Nasty, where right. um, the lads hire a video and they're going to watch video nasties all night, and that starts with um, like mock horror movie titles, you know, filmed in horoscope, and. Uh, the intro have like title cards for all the characters and it's like rick mail not very nice at all and um <laughs> i think matt groening picked up on this then because in the halloween specials it was you know everyone gets a halloween name in the simpsons credit and since oh, then it's become right, like yes. a wider thing uh particularly for anything halloween related now like lots of people on twitter for october they change their twitter handle to a to a ghoulish variant uh, yes. it's, it's an interesting sort of modern tradition that's uh, which you, well, I heartily approve of because I think it is jolly good fun. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm afraid I've done that myself at the moment on Twitter. It's Mega City Boo Club, um, which is the best <laughs> I could come up. <laughs> now, for me, being uh, being well a full time kind of horror host, it's a bit of a busman's holiday. I think I should you know, change my <laughs> my name to something nice about ponies or daffodils, but I never do it. <laughs> And Jim, just going back, am I right in thinking that the shadow that Orson Welles did some of that on the yes, radio? Yes, he did. Yeah, again, people don't realise that Orson Welles was one of the original shadows. I think he was the second second voice of the shadow, if I remember rightly, possibly the first even. Amazing. Mm. Okay, let's go back to Misty and Screen. Let's go. We'll we'll rattle our way through. I think uh, six stories. Thief of Senses starts us off by Maura McHugh, Robin Henley and Annie Parkhouse. Uh, I just mentioned that Robin Henley is the artist who won last year's Thought Bubble 2080 art contest. And I think, I I know she's done a future shock. This may be her second outing. 
Uh, what did you make of this dark and sort of gothic uh, mystery story? Uh, I quite enjoyed this one. Of um, I did I mean, I think too, yes. The thing with these sort of these specials, I think they're, they're always a bit of a mixed bag, and that's no ding on the creators, really. It's just that's the nature of anthology horror, whether it's comics or movies. Uh, but this one, I thought, just... Uh, just got opened the issue really nicely. It felt nicely old school. Yes. Um, which is something I'm kind of big on. It's kind of, as we'll get into, I have criticism of these specials is sometimes they're not really evoking the original comics that well. I know you've got to move with the times, but there's something's hit the mark and something's missed the mark for me. Well, that's very personal, obviously. But this one I thought was a great, a great opening, and it was kind of, oh, yes, it's, it's Halloween. Because uh, I missed not having a special... I know we had the 13th floor, but I missed not having kind of the Scream and Misty special last year. Yeah. And this felt like a very welcome return and uh, a good, strong opening for this special. Yes, I like this one. Uh, it's very dark. It's set in Victorian uh, London, which is quite appropriate for this gothic tale. Uh, a girl and her mother and um, some strange goings on in the house perhaps slightly shows too much of the the uh, the creature towards the end for me. I would have preferred it stayed in the dark, but um, yeah, it's a good one. I like this gothic romance one. Well, I think this really um, it really captures the feel of particularly misty uh, because they did a few yes. uh, period stories, but they, misty always had a bit of grit to it. There was always the kind of probably uh, Uncle Pat Mills's influence, but you had that sort of elements of realism. You know what I mean? These weren't all well-to-do jolly hockey sticks girls having you know spooky adventures. They were ordinary kids who had ordinary kids' lives and often ordinary kids' problems. And uh, what I liked about this one is you really had that kind of it starts out oh yes it's a sort of cozy Victorian story, but then you know you find you know a mother can't speak uh they're you know literally running out of money and you know there's that bit of social realism to it that just gives it a nice really bit of bite yeah i like this one very dark lots of blacks on the page i thought uh, robin henley's artwork is lovely and i'd like to see more of her so yeah i enjoyed the opening and it is very misty in a way i think this one yes yeah then i did particularly like the art um it had the real kind of the uh Lee Moore and um, uh, John Repian a few years ago did a couple of editions of adaptations of M.R. James ghost stories as comics. And, oh, and the, that's the, right, yes. Yeah, and this very much has that sort of the same vibe. Um, it's kind of really sort of cinematic almost, and you could see this animating beautifully. So that's a great one to start with. Then we've got um, something called the Aegis or the Aegis, uh, this is by Christina Bazinski and Mary Safro. This is the very sort of modern, dare I say, all ages, slightly cartoony comic story about, well, there's some mean girls at a high school and then there's a group of uh, three sort of gothy girls who bring back an ancient horror mm. to get their own back on the mean girls. What about this one? Did this one clash with that sort of misty and scream sensibility that you were after yeah uh, for me it's kind of the artwork doesn't feel quite on point it's i don't know it's just and the generally the story i think is a bit weak it's um you know 
if you've read any amount of these sort of twisty in the tail stories, you know where it's going to go. <laughs> yes. uh, right from the start, really. And it's kind of, it just, it just feels a bit sort of slight and um, just a bit fluffy, really. <laughs> I mean, I think because yes. what people remember about Scream and even more so Misty is they'd often give you a story and it had something very dark and very nasty. <laughs> Whereas this just felt a bit sort of cutesy and kind of, yeah, you know, kind of, it's a bit, it feels a bit almost too written for younger readers. That's that, and for my view. But, you know, yeah. mixed bag, some people might even like it. I mean, I think the artwork is lovely, but I think kind of this, it's the story that just kind of needs a bit more punch to it. Yes. Okay. I mean, it is perhaps, as you say, this is one is not necessarily for us, possibly intended for younger readers. I did like that you can apparently order ancient horrors to be posted to you, <laughs> and when they arrive, they come in bubble wrap. Uh, <laughs> that did amuse me. The bubble wrap in particular. Yeah. Okay. Moving quickly on then. Bumps in the Night. Uh, Olivia Hicks, John Lucas, Gary Caldwell Colours, letter by Oz Osborne, uh, a circus tale, a scary clown tale, and again, quite cartoony in nature, I thought. It was kind of, kind of, yeah, it was kind of, it reminded me also a bit of Arthur Ranson, and it was kind of, if Arthur Ranson was doing sort of like a, oh, a right, cartoony yeah. story for the Beano, this is, it would look not dissimilar yeah. to this, because it's quite, it's actually very detailed, just with everyone just being a bit caricatured. Yeah. I felt the artwork on this was kind of, yeah, this is kind of feels like what modern Misty and Scream should be doing. And the story itself, I thought, was kind of um, sort of pleasingly nightmarish. I mean, I know it kind of, yeah, evil clowns, uh, you know, some might say, well, that's, a, that's, you know, it's a bit easy. <laughs> you know, everyone's scared of clowns, yes. almost a cliche. But um, I thought the way the story unfolded with the little just sort of the weird, bizarre twists to it just gave it that proper touch of genuine nightmare <laughs> that I did did I did enjoy right. a lot. <laughs> okay, yes, it does have... There are some nightmarish images in it, um, particularly one full page of the evil clown is quite, uh, uh, quite grim stuff. Um, and there's a strange sort of like... There's a panel that's almost a bit like the end of Time Bandits with the destroyed yes, house yes. and the firefighters mm. outside. Um, when they they pick it, do they find the parents find a lump of uh, of of uh, the evil That's one? That's right. Yes, and it burns down the house. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay, so that's that one. In the middle of the book, Black Beth, Witch Tree, Alec Worley, Danny, Simon Boland. Um, first time black and white in this uh, um, this particular special. Black Beth appeared two years ago in the special, and I've just found out, apparently Black Beth, according to Alec Worley's website, came from the Scream 1988 holiday special. I don't know if you were aware of that one. Oh, I, I thought it rang a bell, but, but I said, oh, no, it must be just new, because he's... I mean, this, this I think, is kind of really just absolutely nailing it for, <laughs> for old-school British horror comics. Yes. Uh, I enjoyed the, the previous Black Beth a great deal as well. Because just the look of the artwork, the black and white, the sort of no-nonsense, throw-you-in, get-on-with-it sort of approach, sort of really gloves-off approach, I really appreciated. And, you know, I could I could see Beth, Black Beth not just running in original Misty or Scream, but actually being quite at home in uh, 
Deskin's warrior. <laughs> in oh, fact, yes, you absolutely. know, yes. ripe for a team up, uh, a team up with her father Shandor, really. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a good a good call actually. Yeah, it would have been perfectly at home in the pages of Warrior. Beautiful black and white art. We love black and white art on a horror comic, don't we? I mean, it just it just seems to work so well, doesn't it? Well, I think kind of when it comes to horror comics in color, there's something about the old four color printing that you get these kind of weird washed out palette and sort of muddy colors that help. Um, well, I've been. I mean, I've enjoyed a great many colour horror comics uh, that have come like post the 80s I think these days with the with the digital colouring it's very easy to get you know get what I call the skittles effect you've got all the colours of the rainbow in oh, one right. panel yes, because yes. you can you know and uh, yeah. sometimes you need to draw it back and I think some of the better like modern horror comics I've read are ones where uh, the artist or the colourist has really sort of chosen a palette and stuck with it and uh Sometimes you just get everything just in technicolor, <laughs> yeah, or hypercolor rather, and sometimes that detracts. Uh, but black and white, I think, just has such a lovely atmosphere. And I always feel, I think, because I grew up with British comics being in black and white, you sometimes the color can detract from the line work and the brushwork. And uh, uh, Black Beth is just lovely. It's just proper, proper comics. You know, visual storytelling for my money. Danny has done beautiful work on the artwork, and I would, um, I'd certainly hope we see more Black Beth stories in future specials. Well, definitely. I mean, I think it's, it's a character with legs and a very rich world, and um, oh, there's, there's great scope and potential with this character and this creative team. I think. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yes, um, sword and sorcery. Uh, yeah, that sort of Father Shandor vibe from. Uh, Warrior. That's Father Shandor comics were great, weren't they? Um, yeah, John Bolton. Father, yeah, John Bolton. That's it. And mm. Father Shandor was when was that when they didn't have Van Helsing for a Dracula, uh, one of the Dra- Hammer Draculas. Yes, um, we had uh, in '58 uh, Dracula with uh, Cushing and Lee. Lee wouldn't come back for the first sequel, Brides of Dracula. So you just had Peter Cushing as Van Helsing, uh, but then for Dracula, Prince of Darkness, the third movie, where Lee did come back, uh, Cushing was unavailable. And so they had Andrew Kerr, who also played Quatermass uh, in Quatermass and the Pit, if I remember rightly, as uh, right, this yes. uh, r- rather rather brusque monk who's going around telling everyone off of being superstitious and then goes, mm, OK, a vampire, I'll sort this out. We'll have none of this nonsense. And... Um, <laughs> Uh, I remember right, yeah, that it was the um, House of Hammer magazine, which is also a Deskin publication, which uh, ran in the late 70s. They, uh, it was a, a magazine about horror movies, about Hammer horror, but its big selling point was they adapted uh, Hammer films as comic strips, as well as having uh, some original strips as well. They did Prince of Darkness, and then um, they also decided to uh, spin off Father Shando into his own strip, which John Bolton did. And um, then uh, the House of Hammer became the Halls of Horror. Then it folded, but Father Shandor continued in the pages of Warrior. Ah, that's right. Yes, quite a strange journey through comics. Uh, Yeah, Father Shandor, Demon Hunter, I believe. Um, Yeah, okay. And as you say, John Bolton's artwork, lovely stuff. Oh, well, one of my great heroes, John Bolton. Uh, (laughs) And so kind of... And kind of Black Beth has very much that sort of John Bolton vibe to it as well. Also, yeah. touches of um, another warrior strip, the Spiral Path. 
Yes, that's yeah. right. It did mm. also. That made the cover of Warrior, I think, at least once, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, yeah. Okay, from Black Beth to Black Max, with, as I noticed on the, just now, on the opposite page, you've got an ad for the two Black Max collections uh, that Volume 2 is coming out next year with that wonderful Chris Weston cover. Oh, yes. Um, that is good, isn't it? It is. It's really good. <laughs> yeah. That one might be finding its way to the Great Library of Dreams as well, I suspect. It almost um, certainly will. <laughs> The Black Max Strip, Keck W, Simon Colby, Leno Grady Colours, and Lettered by Jim Campbell. Um, certainly beautiful. This is very vibrant in terms of the colours, isn't it? We've gone from a black and white strip to a very colourful strip. Is it slightly difficult to pick up the threads? Because this is an ongoing one that's sort of gone through the specials, isn't it? Well, it is. This is kind of all these well, like a little three-part story has been told over four years. Yeah. Um, I know when I picked it up, I was going, oh, hang on, right. I'll just get the back issues out and <laughs> read the first yes. two bits first. I mean, that does kind of concern me because, yeah, you know, I want these things to do well and I worry about casual readers getting confused. Um, yeah. But certainly, I think kind of it's a solid three part story when you read it all together. It, it clips along nicely. The artwork is absolutely fantastic. It feels old school, but very modern at the same time. Uh, and that's kind of, yep, yeah, nailing it there. Absolutely nailing it. Uh, very much, I think, even though say, Black Max was fun, <laughs> the Misty on our Scream, I think um, the approach uh, Keck W has took re- really gets that sort of misty grittiness in, into yes. the fantasy. Yeah. And very sort of got the same sort of subversive and wild imaginings that you know we used to from the likes of 2000 AD. Uh, really, really enjoyed this little trilogy, and it's kind of if I've got a criticism, it's just a, I want more damage. I want a lot more. <laughs> uh, it does, yes. Uh, hopefully, we could get a Black Max comic again. But uh, yeah, we've got the second collection to look forward to next year, and it does do that Pat Mills sort of gritty, misty thing of of rooting the modern day story in a, what looks like a rather tough, comprehensive school. Um, so that you know, he he, as you say, Pat Mills always had that sort of gritty, realist aspect to some of his fantastical stories back in Misty. Yep, this was a great bit. It's been a highlight of all the specials. Uh, this particular Black Max story, and I say that the Simon Colby artwork is just absolutely to die for. <laughs> yeah, uh, reminds me reminds me of Bolland, reminds me of Arthur Ranson, reminds me of John Bolton, reminds me of tons of my favourite artworks. Well being very much of its own style uh great stuff stick the three uh, episodes together and put it out in a floppy for us rebellion well yeah that would be a good you know when volume two comes out if you're listening put them three together yeah. and uh, as a magazine extreme or something like that that'd be just perfect there you go stick it in the back of the magazine yes perfect mm-hmm. yes so after a full page ad for a certain paperback back version that we've just uh, talked about at the top of the show we get of course the last story in the special is um is it something that you're pretty familiar with jim uh fairly familiar <laughs> the dracula file returns absolutely uh, cavan scott vincenzo riccardi and simon boland so tell us, Jim, tell us about this particular story at the back of the special. Well, this this felt for me to be very, very, very on point for a Scream special because uh, after Scream folded far too soon, 
it did have this strange half-life of um, putting out some summer specials and an annual or two, and where you got kind of obviously none of the uh, main storylines continued, but they couldn't do Scream without the Dracula file, which was the big ongoing serial. And so you have these kind of little, they're all in the Dracula file book, I think four or five little one-off stories that uh, are kind of unconnected, but generally it has Dracula tangling with his nemesis, who is still on his trail after all these years. And so this particular story felt kind of, firmly in that Scream special tradition. And um, I don't know, is this the final chapter for the Dracula file? <laughs> well, yes, could it be the end of the Dracula file? I mean, well, we, we know Dracula can always return, can't he? Well, that's uh, it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, the writers could bring him back at any time, but it does seem like a nice fitting end to the Dracula file because it not only features... Uh, old Fang Face himself, but it does feature the return of Stackis. Yes, yeah. Was he Colonel, yeah, Colonel, Colonel Stackis of the KGB? <laughs> yes. Dispatched undercover to hunt down Dracula after he escaped the Soviet Union. I thought it was really just nicely played. Um, I think the artwork was just fantastic. The colour palette in this is exactly what I was talking about before. Um, it's quite reined in and then going berserk in some scenes. Uh, particularly the final climax. Yes. And you get a very good, I think, rendition of a, a Bradbarian Dracula and uh, a suitably grand finale with a clever little twist to it. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Um, it's great stuff. I love the return of Stachis, and obviously Dracula does return. Vincenzo Riccardi, I'm not familiar with his artwork, but based on this, um, let's have him draw more Dracula, please. <laughs> Definitely, because he really just nails it. And I mean, uh, the mayhem and violence, and just the atmosphere of the of a, you know in every panel, it's great stuff. Highly detailed, really kinetic as well. Stackis has been detained in some for in um, a in Sloan High Security Hospital, which is suitably gothic and gloomy <laughs> and. The uh, doesn't look in good repair, and then you know the there's something evil stalking the corridors. It's beautifully done. No, it's fantastic. And if this is the say final chapter for the Dracula file, I think it's a really good sort of finale. I think it would work really well if you put it in with the Dracula file connection because it just kind of you get that kind of a last act of a game of cat and mouse over several years, and this being the final yeah. encounter. I think it probably worked very well in sequence in that respect. So I was very pleased with this. Oh, it's glorious. I love this one. One of the highlights of the special. Um, Jim, you know, as you said, you're a, you're a collector of books, films, games, original art. Do you have any of that? Uh, no, I've, I've not broke the seal on that yet. That's right. <laughs> so let's play the fantasy original art game and uh, and offer you a grail page or two from this special would it come from the dracula file uh, quite likely the um if there's the second to last page yes. with dracula <laughs> laughing and just appearing in roiling clouds of well smoke and evil basically i think that, that is just such a fantastic page that'd be lovely to have on the wall <laughs> It is. I thought it might be that page, Jim, yes. The Dracula's <laughs> return. And as you say, he has got that sort of Eric Bradbury look of Dracula. Uh, Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Mm. You know, it's it just... is a glorious. 
Yep, fantastic stuff. Yeah, it is a great page. So we'll give you that one virtually in the uh, fantasy art gallery of uh, Mega City Book Club. The Dracula's <laughs> Return in the Dracula file now belongs to Mr. Jim Moon. <laughs> fantastic. And if I got you to pick, you know, highlights of this issue, what was your favourite stories uh, out of the special? It's a tough one. I think, I think this one is actually probably one of the strongest of the ones they've done, actually, I think. There's only one strip I was a bit nonplussed by, uh, the Aegis or Aegis. Yes. Damn yeah. Greek pronunciations. <laughs> uh, I should have paid more attention in Latin, but I didn't. I was drawing monsters. <laughs> but, uh, oh, more appropriate. I mean, I, I was delighted to see Black Beth back again because that just gave me that sort of... Re- took, really took me back to my childhood reading comics. And then so I lo- loved the Black Max stuff. But I, mean, I think the highlight, though, is, is um, that final confrontation between Starkis and the Count. <laughs> that yeah, was kind of that's like... That's great. Yes, it's kind of... I feel like the story is kind of finished that I've been... <laughs> following for like several decades on and off yeah uh and well done to kevin scott for bringing them both back for this wonderful um confrontation that happens at the end and yeah the artwork is something to behold if you haven't checked it out do get yourself a copy great so obviously the misty scream 2020 special is still available both in uh floppy copy and in digital so they've put out several specials and I, as I said in our notes, I don't really quite understand, Jim, how the newsagent stands system works, but I understand they have to negotiate certain number of slots per mm. year and, and they are limited. I presume it's mainly WH Smiths who control this here in the UK. Do you find that, you know, there's an intermittent nature to these specials that you'd you'd rather see a more regular, ongoing monthly version. Uh, yes, I mean I'd love to see something a bit a bit more regular because I think the nature of the specials are quite limiting. I mean I think you know looking back to kind of the the summer specials and sci-fi specials done by um, comics of my youth, sometimes they actually really struggled for content because they're trying to do stuff that stands alone, but they've got ongoing series. And if you're not careful, you can get an awful lot of reprints and filler. Uh, I think for these, these have been quite strong specials, but it'd be nice to have them a bit more regular, mainly so the title could build up a bit more momentum rather than being a, a, a curious semi-annual annual sort of thing. And certainly with strips, kind of like mm-hmm. the Black Max and Black Beth, you know, you've got real potential there for very strong ongoing stories to be told on a on a regular basis. And it's kind of it's just the brevity that you've got to squeeze into the storytelling. I think is kind of a more regular thing. You could do so much more with. And quite clearly, they've got creative people out there, both writers and artists. You can feel them champing at the bit that would happily do this week in, week out, or month on month. Yes. Uh, yeah, as you say, they've got the people who could do it. It's just if they had the newsstand slots for it, it would seem. But yeah, it would be nice to get something more sort of ongoing and continuous. Oh, it'd be, it'd be lovely. And I think there'd be a market for it. But it's one of the things I think these specials will only ever sell a certain amount partly because they're a special and they're kind of like little islands that's like volcanic islands that surface then sink beneath the waves again and they're gone (laughs) yes 
If we turn to the back page of this special, we've got an ad for the next one, which is the Misty Winter Special 2020, which will be out a couple of weeks after this podcast drops. And we've got a Simon Davis uh, image of Misty herself. What do you make of that image? I must say it was kind of Misty Winter Special. When, 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 where, please. <laughs> but that, that just gave me the same frisson of seeing adverts for Misty Annuals in the pages of like 2000 AD and Eagle back in the day. It was kind of, ooh, what's that? Ooh, me want to, yeah. me want. And uh, Winter, of course, is a perfect time for some good creepy tales. And uh, Misty was always very good at that, of kind of doing that kind of unsettling horror. Scream was always a bit more, I think, kind of, kind of a... The widescreen horror, kind of, you know, big, bold, like hammer horror or in the style of The Omen. It was always kind of very gothic and very graphic, which is fine and good. Whereas Misty was tend to be that kind of a bit more subtle, a bit more ghost stories for Christmas or Tales from the Unexpected sort of vibe of dark, twisted things half quietly creeping up on you. So Misty Winter Special, yes, please. (laughs) Yeah, fantastic. Um, I've just loved all this treasury stuff they're bringing out. Uh, you know, the Dracula File collection, the Black Max collection, Monster. And then, of course, it says we've got two spooky tales to make you shiver this winter, coming from the Misty Winter special in a few weeks' time. So, yeah, looking forward to that one very much indeed. I was quite intrigued that they're just going to be doing two stories as well. And it's kind of, all right, so you kind of have something that breathes a bit more. Because that's something kind of we've not yes. had in these specials. Of, um, I mean, Scream had its serials like the Dracula file, but Misty used to do kind of mostly one-off stories, but the, they always had a couple of like, what you, I suppose you called maxi-series of stories that were told over six or 12 episodes, uh, you know, which we've had now collected, like uh, Moonchild and the Sentinels and stuff. And so it'd be nice to get some more long-form um, Misty goodness. Absolutely, yes. I look forward to it. Um, I look forward to hearing about what you have to say about it on your own podcast, hopefully, in the future. We'll see. So, let's, Jim, let's turn to the, uh, the world of Hypnagoria, because you are a busy chap. Um, Ridiculously so. <laughs> yes. Not content with just one podcast, you've now got several uh, different threads. Yes, uh, Is that right? I'm up to three podcasts now. <laughs> Plans for a fourth, because I'm insane and have too many ideas but yes i've got my own main show hypnagoria which uh i've been running over 10 years somehow i'm not sure how i've managed that but that's kind of congratulations uh, jim thank you but that, that's kind of um you know why i talk about all things weird and wonderful and often do deep dives into the history of various uh, genre tropes and uh different things uh, then I've got my sort of latest podcast, which is sort of spun off from the main one of uh, called From the Great Library of Dreams. Because for years I always used to read um, your weird tales on the podcast, and I thought it was high time they actually got their own feed. <laughs> so a new podcast was born just this year for that. And uh, for this Halloween, I'm reading an A.M. Burridge story called The Sweeper, which is suitably creepy and autumnal. And uh, oh, great! Uh, the other podcasts have the one which I do with uh, my dear wife Teresa, a commentary club where um, uh, we have kind of a rolling three-week cycle of um, we take turns to pick either a classic movie, a cult movie, or a crap movie, and we provide a full commentary for them. And uh, we try to pick movies that are freely available on streaming services so folks can uh, watch along for them, watch along with them even. 
Uh, we've just dropped an episode on the distinctly not classic Zombievers, <laughs> which is on Netflix, <laughs> a film about zombie beavers. Of course, and, yeah. And uh, at the time of recording uh, tonight, I'm just getting notes together. We're going to record our Halloween special, which is going to be on John Carpenter's original Halloween, which should be out by the time you hear this. Ooh, the original, the classic, the best, yes. Oh, I look forward to that. Uh, uh, you are my favourite horror host, Jim. Thank you. <laughs> I try to keep the old traditions alive. Absolutely. So um, you can find all of this at hypnogoria.com, of course. Yes. You've also got Patreon-exclusive uh, extra episodes, to, including the Lost Transmissions, I believe. Yes, um, on the Patreon I've got three tiers, a very basic one, which Patreon is sort of nagging me to axe, to be honest, because they're like $1 tiers. <laughs> kind of, well, you set it up. You, <laughs> you encourage me. No, make your mind <laughs> up. But, um, yeah, uh, that's the basic one, and every month you get a creepy picture. Uh, but then there's, uh, there's a $3 tier and a $6 tier, both of which get you an extra show. Uh, the $3 tier gets you uh, the hauntography show, which is often the story behind the creepy picture you get. And uh, uh, this year I've been uh, delving in all kinds of weird corners of British folklore with tales of ghosts and monsters and having a lot of fun with that. Uh, whereas Lost Transmissions, I often do kind of extra sort of deep dive bits to the main show or quite often just uh, ramble through my own archives and pick random top fives of different things as just as a springboard to uh, talk about different stuff. And currently this month, uh, as we're all going to be having a bit of a quiet Halloween, both the hauntography yes. and Lost Transmissions uh, uh, will fit together to make kind of a little bit of a, a virtual Halloween party for you. <laughs> Oh, mm. splendid. I look forward to that. Because this year, I think, you, was it this year you covered some of the BBC sound effects albums that they used to put out? Yes, yes. Um, I've done a lot of kind of spooky nostalgia. I did, uh, I covered, um, did two episodes on the main show about, one about the, uh, the science fiction sound effects records they did. Yes. And then another follow-up show to their darker cousins, The Sounds of Death and Horror. <laughs> <laughs> From the BBC. Yes, the Radiophonic <laughs> Workshop, um, <laughs> making some delightfully horrible noises. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, Jim, while I've been reading the Misty and Scream special, particularly the Thief of Senses story that started it off, and because of its slightly gothic setting, it reminded me a little bit of The Haunting of Bly Manor, which is currently, of course, on Netflix, although that has chosen a sort of... Well, they've chosen a 1980s setting for the main story, haven't they? Yes, Although it does yeah. strange things with time. Mm. Will, that, will that be coming up on the Hypnogoria at some point, do you think? Will you get to cover those? Um, well, kind of. I was, uh, I was sort of planning this year to do a big Turn of the Screw series. And, um, ah, right. There and you actually go. Have, have a reading of the complete original Henry James novella on the uh, From the Great Library of Dreams podcast. And then on the main show, look at uh, various different screen versions of it. However, this year being this year, <laughs> uh, things sort of, of course, slightly yeah. ran away from me. And uh, for a while, it was a bit uncertain whether Blind Mother was going to get finished to actually air at the end of this year. 
And so at the time when I should have been putting the legwork doing that series, it looked like it might be postponed to next year. So I thought, oh, well, I'll leave that series for next year. And then they finished it and put it out for just, just in time for October. Though. Yes. Damn it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I do want to do it because I've sort of done, got, done a lot of the legwork and I'm a huge fan of, um, uh, well, Mike Flanagan, who made Bly Manor, uh, but also and Turner, the various versions of Turn of the Screw. Because uh, uh, particularly uh, the Jack Clayton, The Innocents, like a white version, yeah, which is film. fantastic. Yes, so, so it, that will get covered at some point. <laughs> well, I look forward to that as well, Jim. Um, I've just finished watching Bly Manor, so I, I look forward to hearing your thoughts on it. Um, probably, and this is probably not an uncommon opinion. Not quite as good as The Haunting of Hill House, but certainly had some good moments in there. I thought. Yes, I mean, at first, the first half, I thought actually it might be better than Hill House. And then the second half, I thought, no, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Okay. But, you know, the whole history of the the turn of the screw and how many times that's been interpreted over the years. I look forward to hearing you talk about that, Jim. That's a fascinating subject. And The Innocence is such a great film, as you say, for black and white horror. That's fantastic. Jim, thank you so much for giving up your time this Sunday morning to do the Misty Scream special with me. Uh, We'll send people to hypnagoria.com, which will be in the show notes. And, of course, do get your copy of the Misty Scream special and the Misty Winter special uh, when it comes out so that we can keep supporting uh, the Treasury to put out these extras for us. Absolutely. It's a a very worthwhile investment. Thank you very much, Mr. Jim Moon. Uh, It's been great fun. Uh, My pleasure. Lovely to be back again. And thank you to everyone for listening to Megacity Book Club. Find us at megacitybookclub.com where you'll also find links to Jim's podcasts. Follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Spotify or email me mcbcpodcast at gmail.com. Title music is called Circuit Breaker by RoboDub from the Free Music Archive. And thanks as ever to Brian from the British Invaders podcast for hosting the audio and for technical support. And until next time, when we're passing judgment on another great book, uh, it's goodbye from me and... It's goodbye from him. (laughs) 